You are listening to the most comprehensive source for news and views about today's unions. This is LaborUnionNews.com's Labor Relations Radio and your host, Peter List. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! We will not be having our jobs taken away and giving to robots. We will not have you take away our right to work and earn a decent living. And lastly, and most importantly, we will not allow you to take away our dignity. Hey, thanks for turning on and tuning in to Labor Relations Radio. So if you did not recognize his voice, that was actor Brian Cranston, the star of Breaking Bad, at a rally for strikers in Hollywood earlier this week. And as you probably know, there are currently over 200,000 actors and writers who have been out on strike in large measure over the impact of artificial intelligence on their jobs and the potential of AI replacing them in the not-too-distant future. Well, as I've been diving into the topic of AI over the course of the past several months, it is very likely that the Hollywood strike is the tip of a much larger spear as AI appears to be poised to take over a huge swath of workers' jobs, from high-income earners to low-income earners, and from blue-collar workers to white-collar workers, as well as creative types around the world. And in May, I had economist John Morrow on the podcast, and he's the one that really opened my eyes to just how dystopian this could get. I mean, we've all seen 2001 Space Odyssey, we've seen Terminator, but this is now real world stuff. And frankly, before that episode, I had been looking at AI as a potential solution to the present and growing shortage of workers that we've got due to the decline of birth rates and the retirement of baby boomers. But since that podcast, I have been seeing article after article confirming what he was saying could happen, and it is about to happen within the next few years. Since then, I've been talking to just about anyone I can about AI, and I've been trying to learn and understand more about it in the hopes that I would come to a different conclusion than the one I'm arriving at, which is unless there's some solution to the problem very quickly, AI can very easily and likely will cause the collapse of governments due to a lack of income coming from the workers that AI replaces. And I hope I'm wrong on this, but in fact, I'm really trying not to be an alarmist. However, that's the conclusion that keeps popping into my head based on what I'm seeing about AI and how it can be applied across the economy in professions, in blue collar jobs, etc. And that brings me to my guest today, whom I've been super excited to have this conversation with for a couple of different reasons. A couple of weeks ago, John Hyman, who's been on the podcast a few times, wrote a piece on on AI on LinkedIn, which I'll link to under the audio portion of this episode. But in his post, he stated, quote, AI not only has the potential to impact any creative professional, 
paren actors, writers, artists, journalists, musicians, and the like, but also any professional, lawyers, for example, or e- even any worker. It's not far-fetched to imagine a near future in which AI programs robots to run a factory, for example. Now, knowing that John and I have very different political views, I invited John to come back onto Labor Relations Radio in the hopes that he might help me avoid what's commonly referred to as confirmation bias about my conclusions, or if not that, perhaps our divergent viewpoints might offer some solutions. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. Well, Jonathan Hyman, welcome back to Labor Relations Radio. And I am super excited to have this conversation because I think it's one that um, we may have alignment on, but I wanted to have it because I didn't, we have some divergent views politically and I did not want to have somebody on who's just going to echo what I think. But we well, I, will, I, will, I will definitely tell you when you and I disagree. So, <laughs> And it's good to be back. Thanks for having me. So... Um, Let me tee this up a little bit. I started this whole venture or adventure into looking at AI as a result of looking at population declines and population pyramids. And essentially that is where, you know, the baby boomers are all retiring. We're having fewer and fewer kids. And at some point, and I was looking at this more from a employee relations, labor relations standpoint, because there's a worker shortage out there that's going to just get worse. So I thought maybe the answer to this is obviously immigration and as well, this new thing called AI. And then back in May, I had an economist on by the name of John Morrow, who kind of gave a very dystopian view. Um, and I was like, ooh, this could be really bad. So that's kind of led me down these paths of looking at all the jobs that could be replaced by AI in the not too distant future. And then last, well, I guess is maybe two weeks ago now, you did a post on LinkedIn that said, yeah, basically they're coming after everything. That's what it seems like, you know, and what got me thinking about this is I started reading about the the Writers Guild of America and the SAG-AFTRA strikes and what the sticking point is. And I'm not uh, where you and I are aligned politically is on our thoughts about labor unions um, and their place in their place in the workplace. And it's rare that I find myself siding with um, organized labor or the members of organized labor in a work stoppage, but I find myself, uh, sympathizing with and siding with the writers and the actors in the in the Hollywood strike, as you read about the you know the carve outs the studios want to make for AI and what the what their plans are for AI and the fears of writers and actors being replaced by AI uh, without uh, not just fair compensation, maybe without any compensation for uh, for that. And so it got me thinking about. What does this look like, not just for the writers or the actors, but for the me as an attorney, right? I create for a living, and will generative AI one day replace me? Okay, that's self-centered and self-focused, but what about the worker on the production line when robots are able to self-program themselves using AI, and all of a sudden the production line worker is replaced? I mean, we are at the pre-alpha 
release of these generative AI bots, I think. Um, but they're growing and learning at a staggering pace, and it's not far fetched to. And you don't you don't want to go down the dystopian rabbit hole, but at the same time, it's not that far fetched to see where this is headed and to have some real, <laughs> have some real concerns about where this is headed. Well, look at um, let's let's back up for a second to the law practice out there. Now, you may not be replaced, but if and I've been watching Suits on Netflix lately, so. If you have like an associate or two associates who are who you use as a partner to help get the information for you to develop a case, you know, may it may not let's say you use three associates, you may not get rid of all your associates, but there's certainly less need if you can just type in prompts into AI and say, give me cases on such and such, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're, I'm starting to get, cause I am, you know, I get all these like direct, uh, direct mail, direct email advertisements from legal vendors, you know, every day I get dozens of them. And what we're starting to see now is the push of AI tools for exactly that purpose. You know, it, you know, purchase this AI tool and we'll, you know, review your deposition transcripts for you and tell you, you know, where the, damning testimony is or where your concerns are or what the key pieces of testimony are and where it fit you know where where it's going to fit into the brief that you're writing in your case or the the witness examination you're going to do at a hearing or a trial or let this AI review these documents for you and and tell you what the key documents are in your case and the key passages and those are all tasks that you know I use associate and paralegal support for to help me in my practice um, and yeah, and it has the real, um, um, nowhere near ready to say I'm going to be replacing, uh, if they're listening, I'm not replacing my staff with AI. Uh, so, but, um, there are law firms out there that are going to start to at least think about doing that. And it's, it's a real concern, um, for people in my profession, for example. Well, and that, that may not be, you know, for another two to five years before it's ready to you know, enter in full time the the legal industry. Oh, but the but, vendors are. The, I I honestly don't know what the quality of the products are, but the vendors are pushing them hard already. So right, yeah, and that's now. But you're right. In two years, what's it going to look like? In five years, you know, in ten years, it'll probably be passe, and we'll be on to something else by then. So, well, and it's it's interesting because um, when I was speaking with John, the economist, in May, um, he had mentioned. It was kind of, I think, I don't know if this was in the podcast, but he had mentioned like the folks in Silicon Valley who can be replaced easily. Um, and and he, again, he's talking two to three years down the road. And then the Wall Street investors, you know, so when you're looking at folks like that, and it was about two weeks after that episode that I saw that JP Morgan is looking at AI to develop an investment tool to essentially like you input what I want returns and all that sort of stuff. And so those guys who are on the stock trading floors may go away. At no, some I'm, point. I'm not, I'm not, I won't buy crypto. So I'm certainly not trusting an AI with my, <laughs> with my retirement funds. <laughs> right. But it can come up with a bunch of recommendations. And, but if you're looking at replacing those types of folks and legal associates. And then there's a um, Google. I just saw this last week. Google is around pitching 
around the nation to different newsrooms or newspaper publishers a news AI. Yep. Right. To generate journalistic type of Yeah, I saw that story. So given that, we're looking at, you know, these are not your hamburger flippers that are going to get replaced by a robot or the kiosk that's going to take your order. These are like higher income type of jobs. Yeah, that require, and and not to disparage the hamburger flipper, but jobs that require real um, like deductive reasoning to perform those job functions. Right. And then if you remove those from the economy and all of a sudden it's being replaced by the machine, then you're looking at a whole swath of problems that because you're taking those people out of the economy, they're no longer paying income taxes. And as a result, where does your government get its funding? Yep. That's exactly right. And this is where I'm starting to lean into is uh, our politicians and perhaps rightly so are looking at, you know, non-discrimination using, you know, bills to end discrimination with AI and all that sort of stuff, but they're barely scratching the surface. Yeah. It seems like it, at least they're thinking about it. Although I do have concerns if you've watched, if you watched any of the, like the Facebook hearings uh, that were, that happened on Capitol Hill, whatever right. it was last year, you know, the legislature's don't even don't even, not even how Facebook works, but some of them don't even understand what it is, and so right. uh, I have some concerns with trusting them to be able to effectively regulate AI when they can't they can't even understand how to log into Facebook. So, yeah, that and that's that's frightening. But it's I think within the next five years, maybe less, you're going to start seeing, you know, a real tax issue that governments are not going to be able to fund their roads or their schools. Yeah. So hopefully. There are economists in the government and whatever branches, whatever departments of the government, but treasury or whomever um, are looking at those issues uh, and um, are at least starting to put plans together and have conversations. So there is maybe a game plan in place to how we're going to replace that revenue when people start being removed from the workforce because they're being replaced by AI. Well, and you started this by mentioning um, the Hollywood strikes going on with AI. I have, well, at first I tried to reach out to or starting to reach out to William Spriggs, who is the um, chief economist at the AFL-CIO, and he had just passed away. Hmm. And so over the weekend, I was looking at EPI, Economic Policy Institute's website, to see if they have been doing anything on AI. And the last full article they've done is 2019, so they're way behind on it. They may yeah. be talking about it, but I'm going to see if I can get somebody from them on the podcast as well. I, I'm i wondering, though, is there a way? I don't know that there's a way to slow down the technology and the development of this, but is there a way to slow down the replacement of humans? It's hard to say. I mean, I, I hate to lean into collective bargaining, for example, but that's exactly what the writers and the actors are trying to do here in their strike is you know the the writers want assurances that the studios aren't going to um use ai to start writing scripts and the actors are trying to ensure that the studios aren't going to use i use ai to, to fully you know take someone's likeness to create a performance or just create performances out of whole cloth uh without the use of actors at all um, and I mean, that's what they're trying to accomplish with this, uh, largely what they're trying to accomplish with these, with these, uh, with these labor stoppages in Hollywood. So, 
uh, while I, I hate to lean into collective bargaining as you know as the solution, at least in that instance, that seems that seems to be it's it's the solution they're going to have to rely on to stop their jobs from being replaced by AI. Otherwise, you know we're going to need. I'm not sure we can trust the corporations to self-regulate if they can run more efficiently and spend less money to get the same or reasonably the same product out. So I'm not sure we can I'm not sure we can rely on self-regulation here and while I hate to say I, I never like to say, you know, legislation or regulation is the answer because I think less is better in a lot of cases in most cases. Um, we may need regulation or legislation to, um, uh, in order to not necessarily stop the development because the development, I don't, I think you're right. I don't think the development's going to stop, but to at least, um, stop the deployment while we figure out what this all looks like and how it's all going to work moving forward as the technology continues to develop behind the scenes. Well, I don't, Yeah. And I don't know that um, there's a way to, quote, tax the machines on, you know, if you're replacing a whole bunch of employees or the need for employees, whether they're lawyers or doctors or nurses or whatever, um, I don't know that there's a, I can't get my head around a way to tax them unless, and I've heard a couple of people say, well, universal basic income, but again, there's no way to, unless you've got somebody producing the tax revenues. There's no way to do universal basic income that's going to work. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not an economist. I'm not going to pretend to play one, and, and I'm not going to pretend to understand tax policy. But I, I, I mean, we pay like we pay a commercial activity tax for the work we do in our business. Um, if you could somehow look at unemployment rates and figure out the percentage of you know, jobs that are being shed as a result of AI replacing those job functions and then figure out how that would translate to some kind of commercial tax on the business to replace the rev- the tax revenue that's lost from the individuals that are not working because of AI. I mean, that I suppose w- would be one way to do it. You're just kind of transferring the burden there from the individual to the business because the business is the one to, to, to keep, the, to keep the, the, the revenue streams flowing in at least flat. So, yeah. And this is, so as a more small L libertarian, for me, it's an interesting like dichotomy of issues. Like I said, you don't, you don't want more, you don't want more regulation, right? right you never want, right. you never want to look to government to be the solution, but I think we need government to be the solution here. Well, yeah. And it's, I, you know, as I was thinking about it the other night, I'm, I'm like the only way to really not impact humanity in a deep and negative way is really to make it cost prohibitive for employers to switch out, you know, humans for machines. And it's and the only way I think to do that. I mean, you're not going to be able to have unions collectively bargain to slow this down. At least, you know, not across the entire economy. You can do it maybe industry by industry, like they're trying to do in Hollywood, but Hollywood's been going that direction for quite a while. You know, as soon as um, the economist, uh, I don't want to confuse listeners when I say John, you know, because you're John, but John, the economist, um, he mentioned Hollywood and Harrison Ford and stuff like that. Well, they did that with uh, Carrie Fisher, you know, in the star Wars movie. 
They've been yeah. using AI. George Lucas has been using right. At least CGI is an early form of right. Not AI, but it's you know right. replacing so, bodies. Right. So so the question then becomes right. So Carrie Fisher was rep- was replaced by CGI Carrie Fisher, and right. then they pulled audio clips of her and put it through a computer to create the dialogue. Right after she after she passed away, and so the question then is. You know, is is and I actually I don't know the answer to this, but is does Carrie Fisher's estate then get paid the royalties for the use of her likeness, and for someone famous like Carrie Fisher, um, it's easier to make the argument for well, you are appropriating the 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 likeness of someone famous that has a tangible value, but for Joe Blow Extra, who does a five-minute walk-on on some, you know, show on, you know, some streaming show on Netflix, um, and, is, and then is never heard from again, who doesn't have, whose likeness doesn't hold not just the same commercial value, but maybe any commercial value, um, my understanding of what they're fighting for is for the protection of because the Carrie Fishers of the world, the Harrison Fords, privacy law and tort law, probably and intellectual property law as it exists now, probably gives them, it certainly gives them some form of protection and probably gives them the protection they need, but not for the person whose name and likeness doesn't already have an independent commercial value attached to it. And that's what they're, that's really what they're fighting to protect here. So, right, yeah, and it, and the question then becomes if if I could take a picture of the New York City street, for example, and just slightly alter the people that I I photograph and then plug that into a machine, do I need any extras at all? Right. No, that's exactly right. And that, and that I mean that to a large degree happens now. I mean, you know, Ted Lasso, the soccer. The, the the scenes in the football stadiums at the games, the crowds are almost all CGI'd in. Um, and my understanding is they might be playing on just a regular, just like a backyard football pitch. And then the stadium itself is CGI'd in around the, you know, around the players on the right. field. And so that's largely happening, you know, that's largely happening now, but it's, it's not the, it's not the the stealing the or stealing maybe stealing maybe stealing's not too strong of a word but the taking of someone's direct likeness and then using it without their permission in future you know in future productions so right well and then going downstream from the actors and writers you're also looking at the set designers and costume designers and everything else and, right and you know if you if you take that out of hollywood that's kind of like if you use society as a whole you don't need associates or you don't need attorneys to argue your case anymore. Well, those people are not, you know, not earning an income to pay the carpenter to refurbish their kitchen or, you know, it just goes down from there. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And all the while, uh, you know, the AI is working behind the scenes and it's getting there. They are, they're adding to the algorithms, to the programming, to the code. The AI is learning and getting better. The more information it digests, and you know we all we all watch Terminator. We all we're all familiar with Skynet, and if that's where we're headed, um, 
it doesn't it doesn't paint a real it paints a pretty bleak picture for the future and i'm not and i'm not sure we're we're not fated to end up in a war with the robots but um it's also not that hard to imagine as the ai's get better behind the scenes so well and 15 20 years before terminator was 2001 space odyssey and hal mm-hmm. didn't open the door or he, he refused to open the door. He cert, he cert, is it a he? He certainly did not. Yeah. So um, that is, well, let me kind of bring it back for a second. And regardless of what your impression of Elon Musk is, have you watched what he's doing with Twitter, changing it to X? Oh, I've, been wa- I've been watching very carefully, yeah. And so I don't quite understand what he's doing, but it seems as though that he is he is going to be integrating AI with Twitter, which is interesting because I heard him a few years ago saying, imagine if AI learned, you know, its whole learning process came from Twitter and the fights between Twitter. It's not too far-fetched to think that AI concludes that humanity's bad. Uh, no, it's not, especially when so much of the information on Twitter is dis- is disinformation to begin with, right, as... So if the AI is learning, if the AI is learning from information and disinformation, what is the AI actually learning, and what is it going to learn to do? So it's a right. scary thought, right? Uh, so I haven't really figured out what he's doing with this X, this new X thing, but it's much bigger than just Twitter. No, I think he. I mean, he's clearly has a plan for Tesla and SpaceX and X, the the formerly Twitter under some corporate, um, you know, corporate umbrella. And it's, yeah, I'm not, uh, um, I hope he has a plan for what he's doing. I assume he has a plan for what well, he's doing. Yeah. I mean, what I've read it, it goes to financial platforms and a whole bunch of other stuff. I, yeah. I mean, I, I haven't read it, it enough, but and that might be his ultimate plan is to right create a currency and right. So it's, yeah, it's so, Again, I go back to, okay, so how is the government going to, like, function? I mean, you know, we're we're funding war in Ukraine, and, you know, we've got armed services all over the world. And at some point, we're already, you know, $32 trillion in debt. But if we don't have any taxes coming in, it's going to get ugly quick. Uh, yeah, that $32 trillion is going to quickly, um, uh, it's going to increase at a rate faster than it already, than it already is. We're going to continue to incur debts um, that we can't pay. And then what happens when China calls its marker, right? Well, and their problems are apparently from a, a population standpoint, even worse than ours. I've been listening to, um, there's a couple economists I've been listening to, one one more so than others, which is uh, Peter Zihan. And he's predicting within the next decade, pop, uh, China as we know it, will no longer exist. Oh, that's interesting. Due due to their one child policy and just their their economic structure, their population pyramid is totally inverted. So does he envision it then breaking up into smaller countries? Does he envision a democratic revolution overthrowing the regime? Like what what does he see as the end game? Um I don't really know that he's saying as an end game it, there, he's got it divided up into different regions and like the southern region, which I believe is where Beijing is, is going to have to worry about the north. And, you know, part of their problem is they've gone so quickly to 
um, agrarian society, you know, through Mao and, and successive premieres, I guess, um, that so many people have moved into the cities. They had the one child policy. And what normally happens when you have people moving from outside cities into the cities, they stop having kids. And so it's going to be like a economic collapse for them. Mm. All right, but good. We can all stop worrying about China then. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) they're in the headlines all the time. But, you know, so they're going to have a problem. So what happens to their debt, you know, that we owe them? Right. And it's just, it's a fascinating time. And it's happening very quickly. So I went into this because of the population decline and, you know, labor issues, labor shortages here in the United States. And it's just, it's kind of morphed into this really big problem without a solution. Yeah. And like I said before, hopefully there's people um, with more letters after their name than, than you or me thinking about what the solutions are so that we don't, we don't get caught with our pants down you know, five years from now is with not having a solution in place. Here's the problem, John. I don't think there are. No, I don't think there are either. I agree with you. <laughs> it's I, happening I, so there quickly. Pro- there, prob- there probably aren't. Uh, uh, there probably aren't. Or if there are, there's not enough of them uh, with brain power assigned to to tackle the solution, which then puts us it puts us in a real it puts us in a real predicament. Yeah. And so if you look at like, you know, just going into like our sphere, HR, labor relations and all that sort of stuff, um, I would think, you know, across many industries, you're going to start seeing at least some aspects of AI hitting the bargaining table. Right. Oh, I would I would think so for sure. I think there are I, I would argue that the unions are not representing their members if they're if they don't have it on their bargaining agenda for every contract that's going to come up moving forward from fast food workers to baristas yeah everyone i think it's i think it is uh collective bargaining malpractice uh if you are if you are a sitting at the bargaining table on behalf of a labor union and not putting the issue of ai and the impact on your members front and center in front of the employer and say what is your plan and what are we going to what are we going to what are we going to agree on so that we have assurances that our that our members jobs are protected right and from the hr standpoint um we're starting to see it a little bit with the recruiting tools right yep ai yeah and and so there's i think it's states and uh the feds are starting to try to put some handcuffs around ai yeah i mean that's kind of the low hanging ai fruit cuz that's been out there i mean that like the bots the like the the resume the resume review bots and the kind of the the walls to kind of get into a company they've been out there for a while and the the tools are you know are being fine tuned, but that to me seems like kind of the AI low hanging fruit the AI that goes out and you know reads resumes and decides you know are you the right you know are you the right fit for this position, um, and uh, yeah, and from a from a HR kind of EEO anti discrimination DEI whatever label you want to put on it standpoint, it's um, you know what protections are in place to make sure that inherent biases uh, that have probably existed for generations are not being relied upon by this AI to make sure that we have a fair and equitable pool of talent that has a you know at least an equal chance of getting their foot in the door, and. Um, I know the EEOC is, you know, held public meetings on these issues. Um, 
uh, and um, there's some guidance coming from the agency, but that's just guidance. And and I think to the extent we're going to see laws passed directed at specifically directed at AI, that's that will probably be the first wave of laws that we'll see is is laws that kind of impact how businesses use AI from a from a you know like a higher from a hiring and fire or at least from a hiring perspective, right? Um, but I think that type of AI was really, I mean, there's two, I guess I look at AI in two different buckets. There's that form of AI, which is, you know, using algorithms to review information and then tell us what the information means versus the, the generative AI, the chat GPTs of the world that are actually using that information, not just to, kind of give us answers to specific questions, but to actually, you know, generate without people involved at all. And that's that's the one that really scares me. But I think the other one is easy I think the other one is easier the like the resume tools that are being used to, you know, scrape information and then tell us, you know, we're gonna interview you should interview these five people, you know, based on the resumes that you received. I think that's easier to understand and probably easier to to legislate and regulate because we can look at existing EEO laws and say, we just got to make sure that we are eliminating whatever, you know, disparate impact might exist based on the information that you AI bot are using. Well, so that goes to, um, and uh, the technology is probably already there. So I think, you know, there are companies that are using it, but scraping social media to find out if 10 years ago you posted something on Twitter or Facebook that is, you know, not in line with the values of whatever ABC company. Right. And that's going to be much easier. There's, there's a bill that was introduced. I think it was last week by Senator Bob Casey from Pennsylvania, which is, I don't know if the, let's see if I can find the title real quick, but it's essentially like no robot bosses bill. Um, I don't know that that's even touching the surface there because I, I think it's aimed towards not using AI to determine a worker's productivity or, um, you know, make hiring, firing decisions, et cetera. But if, and I'll just use Amazon as an example, if you look at, you know, well, we're going to put the screws to Amazon and pass something like this because they use AI. Well, Amazon's full goal in life you know, down the road is to replace all workers anyway. It's to automate everything, right? Yes. You you, pla- you place the order, a robot picks it off the shelf, it takes it to a truck, you know, the truck drives it to a facility where a drone picks it up and then delivers it to your home or or, or, a, self-drive, or a self-driving delivery truck delivers it to your home. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yep. Which, goes, which goes back to my point, the politicians are just scra- scratching the surface right now. Like, yeah, what- I, think we, I, I think we all are. I think that's part of the problem. I think we're all scratching the surface and the people that really understand this stuff are the people at Google and at Microsoft and at, uh, you know, chat GPT that are developing this behind the scenes. They're the ones that understand it. And, and we, uh, we don't, right. Like I'm a, I'm an employment lawyer, right. What do I know? Right. right. I, I, I'm interested in the issue, but in terms of the technology and, 
the algorithms and how this, the, the nuts and bolts of how this all works and how it's developing, that's way, way beyond my pay grade and my comprehension. Yeah. You know who my go-to tech knowledgeable person is, is Mike Vandervoort, your co-host on yep. Labor Relatedly. On, <laughs> I'll do a little plug. Labor Relatedly on Drive Through HR. Thank you for the plug. <laughs> but I, yeah, I just actually uh, emailed him earlier. Actually, it was Twitter because uh, he was using an AI bot to do some illustrations. And so, <laughs> so I said, which one is that? So I've been playing around with that one. But it's, you know, six months ago, I had no idea like how this all worked. And, and it wasn't until I think the Hollywood writers were starting to heat up that I started investigating a little bit more, which happened to coincide with the, with the uh, studying the population pyramids. Yeah. Have you, um, have you seen the story that 60 minutes did on AI? Not, I don't know, three or four months ago. No, you should, you should source it out. Um, they interview the head um, of an AI, the head of AI at Google um, and mm. uh, kind of where they think, where they think this is going and, and their, their view of what kind of responsible their view of what responsible AI looks like and not I mean every not wanting it to turn into a Skynet, right? I, I hate I keep hate I, I hate to keep using that as an example, but that's kind of the example we have. Um it's a, you you should uh, you and everyone listening should take a look at the story. It's I think it ran over two segments. It was maybe a 40 minute story, but it's a it was a really really fascinating look, not just at kind of what this all is, but the the AI companies themselves, their view of their role in helping to develop this responsibly. My fear remains that, I mean, you can developing it, developing it, developing it, if I can talk, developing it responsibly is great until the AI learns to get around whatever fail safes you're putting in place to try to help develop it responsibly. And that's, that remains my concern. Right. The prime directive that yeah. shall not hurt humanity. Right. Yep. Yeah. Well, you forgot to put an adverb in there and you know, <laughs> what kind of humanity or adjective? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's kind of the concern, but it's, you know, I think the, um, the thrust for most of these developers is how do we create something that's more efficient, right? How can we improve productivity or whatever? And they get stuck in the science of it and like not looking down the road five, 10, 20, 25 years from now. Yeah. Because they're developers, not ethicists or philosophers, right? But they, but we need the ethicist, the, 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 the ethics folks and the philosophers um, looking at these issues, right? We need, um, you know, tech ethicists um, to be working with the tech companies uh, to help tell them what response, what the responsible development of AI looks like. Well, it, you know, and the economist, John, that was on, um, and part of it, again, I was looking at this more from a population standpoint, and he had some interesting points in that, you know, the tech today, so your smartphones, et cetera, like people are not having relationships that they used to. And then with AI, that's probably going to be further exacerbated. 
because, you know, I don't need to have a relationship if I, with a real person, if I can have a relationship with a robot that, you know, does everything I want it to do. Yeah. We were, we were in, um, we were uh, in the Finger Lakes over the weekend. My niece has a house on Cayuga Lake uh, out in the Finger Lakes in New York. And we go up every summer to visit her and her family. And I looked up, we were sitting, we were, uh, came off the boat and we were, you know, sitting in her family room. And I looked up, we were all just on our phones, right? right. Like right. this family we hadn't seen since New Year's, Christmas, New Year's, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, Christmas, I don't know, late 2022 was the last time we saw this particular part of my family. And there we're all just looking down at our phones, doing whatever, instead of like looking up and having an actual like interaction with right. the people we came to visit. Texting across the room to each other. Yeah, my wife and I do that all the time. So yeah. that's not that's not that unusual. But well, <laughs> and to that end, with the you know, with younger folks relying more on their and I don't want to categorize it as just Gen Z because there's plenty of folks older that are doing the same thing, but they're not developing relationships relationships, they eventually forming a bond to get married, to have kids, all that sort of stuff. And then you just look at the population decline continuing, which is kind of how I started this whole venture out is, okay, maybe AI is the answer because we're not going to have enough people. And we're seeing this in, in the labor market today. We don't have enough people to do the jobs. It's either going to be AI or immigration that's going to be the bodies to do the jobs. Right. So so pick your poison. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's an interesting point, right? Particularly right in the service service industries that continue to suffer coming out of COVID and they still can't fill positions. Um, yeah, you gotta either right. Either the business is gonna close because they don't have the labor to 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 run, to help the business run, or they're gonna find a solution. And so if AI is the solution. I mean, maybe so be it, but um, but the concerns of that AI developing, I still I still have those the, the, those concerns don't go away just because we're using the AI to keep businesses running to replace labor that needs to be replaced. Yeah, it, well, I was in New Jersey last year, and this was I think developed for the pandemic. But yeah, I was at a restaurant. I had to go there a couple times because it just happened to be next to the hotel, and they they have not done away with the tablets to order. Actually, you use your smartphone to make your order. And this is like fine dining. They don't have a waiter or waitress to, to actually take your order. They have you order through your, your app or the QR code. Yeah. Um, you know, the menu's on your phone. You just click this, this, and this. Add extras if you want it. They'll bring your food to you. Do they still ask you to tip when they bring you the bill? Oh, of course. Oh, that drives me bonkers. <laughs> well, somebody's got to get the money, <laughs> right? That drives me. I mean, that's that's a topic. That's a conversation for for another day. But the the tipping culture that has developed, right? I so COVID starts, and um, you know, we got takeout from restaurants, and you're tipping because you want to support the frontline workers that are keeping these establishments open. So you tip because you're not eat, you're not dining in, but you still give your 20% or whatever to the people that are bringing the food out to the car. Um, right. But that hasn't stopped, right? So now everywhere you go, they, you know, I go get a, a you know, a takeout sandwich for lunch and it's, you know, it's, uh, do you want to, you know, do you want to tip 20% to the person that took, you know, that rang you out at the register? And it's like, no, I don't because they just rang me. <laughs> it's, right. Hey, they're not making, they're not making a tipped wage. They're probably making 15 or $16 an hour to begin with. Um, and yeah, it's, it, um, it drives me bonkers, but like I said, that's a conversation for another day. So, 
Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, with that, I, I'm seeing that with like used takeout sandwiches, Jersey Mike's, for example, you know, you get a sub and, and they want a tip at the register. Well, I think, you know, me deducing that it's going to go to the guys who are rolling up the sandwiches or slicing the meat. I don't know if it is. But, but legally it should. <laughs> right. Legally it's because legally it's illegal for um, anyone other than the workers uh, to take that, to take that tip. Uh, but you, re- but you really don't know. So. Right. Yeah. Well, and at, at some point, I mean, kind of talking about frontline workers in restaurants, you know, with so few of them wanting to, to work or so few of them available and take Starbucks baristas, for example, you know, at what point do the kiosks take, take over for the order takers and then what's going to be automated behind the counter? Yeah. I want to, yeah. Cause so much of that, I mean, at Starbucks, I mean, so much of their coffee process is automated already. Anyway, you're not getting an artisan espresso at Starbucks. It's coming out of, you know, it's the, the, it's, the they're the it's ground and then it's made but it's not like a they're running it through an old espresso pump i mean so much of it is automated already anyway that it's not it would really wouldn't be that difficult for them just to fully automate the process and just give you your latte with very little human involvement if any at all right yeah and that may be coming down the road i'm sure uh, there i i can I don't know. I have no. I have no inside. You know, I have no inside baseball here. But I can guarantee that is being developed behind the scenes. And you will, somewhere in the next eighteen months, you will see a press release um, announcing with pride the opening of the first fully automated Starbucks, probably in Seattle, um, as a you know as a test flagship store. Right. Yeah, and that's. So that'll be interesting to find out if it's going to spur more organizing activity or essentially shut it down. Well, yeah. I mean, if the concern is right, if we better, we better just shut up and do our jobs or the robots are going to replace us. Uh, yeah, it could, it could, um, it could shut the organizing down. Right. Yeah. And you know, and I, so we, we talked about labor relatedly, um, the episode that, that Mike and I just did, we, um, the first time one of us mentioned Starbucks, we joked that we almost made it through an episode without mentioning Starbucks. Um, but, uh, they're all learning now, um, Starbucks, the 300 stores that organized, um, the difficulty of bargaining. Right. And so whether any of them actually get a contract, um, I know I, I have my thoughts on what the answer is at the end of the day, how many Starbucks will end up with a collective bargaining agreement. And it's probably zero. Um, right. Yeah. So, you know, would they just be, would they be better off if they had just not organized at all, just did their jobs and went about their business? Yeah. Well, and part of the problem for the union in that case is they argued individual stores at the NLRB got the decision for individual stores says now want to bargain a national contract. Yeah. Yep. Sorry. Don't work that way. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, kind of back to the AI thing, there's there's a move in California, and I think they got it passed into through the legislature. I don't know if it's signed into law yet, but they it's kind of AI slash automated vehicles. The Teamsters lobbied hard to get um, a bill passed to essentially say that if you're going to go AI with tractor trailers or automatic, automated drivers or vehicles, you have to have a person in the cab. I love that idea. 
<laughs> for well, lots yeah. of reasons, but the but, thought of a the thought of a fifty, you know, uh, uh, you know, a fifty plus foot semi barreling down the road with no one inside the cab, uh, I don't love that. So, yeah, especially in California. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, so again, this goes back to Hollywood. With uh, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Logan with you know as part of the X Men Wolverine oh, yeah, yeah. series. Yeah, so you remember the scene where he's like somewhere in Oklahoma or something and he's crossing the highway and there's these, you know, basically tractor trailers, but without the tractor, they're just these huge trailers, you know, zipping by. Right. And I don't see that being too far off, maybe 10, 20 years from now. But at some point, like it's, okay, cool, Teamsters and organized labor out in California have made sure that there's going to be a driver in there for now. But at some point, the technology is going to surpass that. I think the te- I think we're closer on the technology than we are with the infrastructure on that. Oh yeah, you won't need to, be- you won't need to build both to support that. And I think we're we're way closer on the technology than we are on the actual infrastructure. But I I don't think fifteen twenty years is that far of a stretch. Right. Yeah, and it's so again. I think it's going to have to. And I hate saying this as a as a free market libertarian type, but it's going to have to go to the role of government. Like, can they make it so that it's, I'm going to the tax issue, can they make it so cost prohibitive to replace humanity that yeah. it slows it down? Yeah, or, like, there, like there, there are additional tolls or additional, you know, the truck's still got to go through way stations, right? And so if you don't have a driver, every time you go to a way station, you got to pay, you know, X, you know, basically a tariff for not having a driver in the cab. Right. Uh, yeah, but it's um, I can see the pain on your face because you have to because you have to argue for regulation. <laughs> I know it's killing me. <laughs> it's one of those things. Well, and I I'm a bit older than you, so it's like not something that I'm really going to be that affected by. But yeah, my kids certainly will. Yeah, I mean, I just turned fifty, so I'm not that young. So, but yeah, my kids and grandkids for sure. These are going to be issues yeah. that they're going to be grappling with for certain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, I had a question for you. Are you still doing the podcast with Nora? Uh, we are. We um, It's interesting. So we recorded, we dropped an episode a couple of weeks ago about we just, we were in Portugal in, in June and we did an episode on our, on our trip. And I looked back and it was the first one we had done in four months. And I'm not sure why we took that long of a break, um, but we're going to, we're going to, we said we're going to try to start recording more regularly. So I think we're going to do another one this weekend that'll drop uh early next week, but we it is it is uh alive and uh it was on life support for a while, but it's still it is still going. Yeah, so for the listeners, um John does a podcast with his daughter Nora and it is I've only listened to a couple episodes, but I love them because it's a conversation between a dad and a daughter and they're just it's fun to listen to. I appreciate that. She's uh She's 17. She's going into her, her senior year in high school. And then it was really started really as a bonding exercise. I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm not so self-absorbed to think that anyone other than like, like my parents, um, you know, really care what goes on in my life in a, on a day-to-day basis or my daughter's life on a day-to-day basis. So I think the, the kind of thesis statement for the podcast is like, this is, this is what like a healthy, like, relationship looks like between a dad and his and his teenage daughter um and uh so i i appreciate you saying that and i'm glad you enjoy it um but yeah we talk about each episode is themed 
So we've talked about like our pets and vacations and we just did like we just did one on our trip to Portugal. Um, so uh, there's, I don't know, 30, 35-ish in the can if people want to go back through the archives. It's called the Nora and Dad Show. Um, and when we do it, when we actually sit down and record, it's, it's fun to do. So I, I, I appreciate the, I appreciate the shout out. Yeah. No, it's, it's, and she's a musician or at least was right. Still is still okay. is. She's yeah. Some summer, summer of gigs for her. So she's been busy gigging around Northeast Ohio, uh, trying to make enough money to buy a car. So that's awesome because I believe that teenagers take better care of their cars if they buy, if they pay for it themselves than their mommy and daddy. Uh, buy them a car when they turn 16. Right. Mm, somewhat. I have a son who <laughs> does not do that, and he's bought all of his vehicles. But... <laughs> Any case. Well, John Hyman, I appreciate you coming on. I think we're somewhat in agreement. Still not, I don't have the answers yet. But yeah, I don't, I, The problem is I don't think anybody does, except maybe for the AI that's trying to learn what the answers are before we figure it out, and that's the scary part. Yes. Yep. Well, thanks for coming on Labor Relations Radio. I appreciate it. My pleasure. As always, thanks for having me. I love, uh, I love our conversations. They're fun. Thanks. Talk to you soon. You too. So that was Labor and Employment Attorney John Hyman on artificial intelligence and its impact on jobs and our society, if you will. And I think my quest for solutions is going to continue. I'm going to keep having these conversations because I think it impacts all of us one way or another. In any case, that wraps up another episode of Labor Relations Radio. I'm your host, Peter List. If you want to reach out, you can reach out on Twitter at Workplace Report. That's at Workplace RPT. I guess I should say the app formerly known as Twitter. And you can also leave a message under or comment under the audio portion of this episode or give us a call at 1-888-668-6466. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Oh, black queen, take me to that place and wash my sins away. You have been listening to Labor Relations Radio. Hey, Labor Relations Radio listeners, this is just a quick reminder. If you enjoy Labor Relations Radio, make sure you share these episodes with your colleagues and make sure you and your colleagues visit laborunionnews.com and subscribe to our News Digest.